Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. The scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 32, chapter 32, verses 1 through 10. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, "Make us a go- Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you have brought out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Blessed. Hey, thanks, Bruce. That's fine. Yeah, it's perfect. Thank you. It's my water stand here. Hey, it is good to see some of you back. I know you've been outside. I know you've been fishing, filling the freezers. That's good, isn't it? And uh, But the leaves are changing colors. The evenings are getting cooler. And you know what that means, don't you? I know. Don't shake your head there, Heidi. You know what that means. But it is good to see you back. We um, began a new series uh, a couple weeks ago now um, called The Idol Factory. And uh, we began by talking about how our hearts uh, are places that we manufacture idols. And that we need to be alert, we need to be aware, we need to be on guard. And we talked about three categories of idols that um, are present and manufactured in our heart. We talked about love idols, we talked about trust idols, we talked about obedience idols. And, and those are things that we love, we trust, we obey, um, that compete 
with our love, our trust, and our obedience um, for God. And how we live in a time, we live in a culture where those things compete. Uh, And you might recall, we began looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. I'll paraphrase it for you. It says this. It says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. For the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the boastful pride of life, are from the world and not from God. And because they're from the world, they're, they're fading away, they're passing away. But the one who obeys God will live forever. And we talked about do not love the world. That's a command. Don't do it. Do not do it. The scripture tells us. And the world isn't uh, the material world in the sense of we look at the beauty of the mountains and we look at God's creation, you know, uh, the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. And we look at that and it, and it just draws our mind and our attention to the goodness of God. You know, we want to love the creator rather than the creation. Um, but what it's really talking about here, don't love the world. It's talking about a spiritual system of evil that's dominated by Satan. And that, that system, that invisible system manifests itself in visible, tangible ways in people, in nations, in institutions, all around us. And, and Satan's desire uh, is to turn us against God, His Word, and His people, and and that's what John that's what John is referring to. He says, "Don't get caught up in that. Don't get tricked by that. Don't live with competing affections. Don't do that." So we talked about that week one. Then last week we talked about idle lies. You remember that? idle lies. And we began with 1 Peter 5.8 that says, be sober, alert. Your adversary, the devil, is, is prowling, right? Prowling about, looking for someone to devour. And uh, you might recall, I shared my experience of actually having seen photographs of a person that had been devoured by a lion. And the thing that stood out to me was that the, the lion not only devoured this person, but just gnawed on this person's bones like a dog would. You remember last week, I talked about three things um, that the devil wants you to question. That it's like him gnawing away at you, gnawing away at the bones, at the guts of your faith. And he wants to just gnaw and gnaw and gnaw by causing you to question these three things. And those three things you might recall, if you remember, are um, who are you? The second one is whose are you? And the third is 
What is your purpose? What's your purpose in life? And, and, and really the first two, and all of them, are tied into our identity. Who are you? Who are you? Well, you're a child of God. The scripture says that if anybody be in Christ Jesus, they're a new creation. Behold, the old is passing away. All things are becoming new. The scripture says that literally, you, your citizenship, has been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. That you have a new identity. And and as a sign of that, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, Ephesians tells us that we are sealed. We belong to God. And that's evidenced by Him pouring His Spirit into our life as a down payment, as a guarantee. Not only that we belong to Him, but that He is faithful to help us persevere Give us the strength, the power, all that we need to make it through this life. And that someday, uh, we are going to experience the fullness of our inheritance and all that God promises us. Scripture says um, that we're joint heirs with Christ himself. And the riches and the promises of the kingdom of God. Right? That's all about who we are. That's our identity. And then, and then where do all these good things come from? Well, it comes from a God who loves us, a God who created us with great intentionality. We're created by God, for God, for His sovereign plan and purposes. And that through Christ Jesus, we enter into the divine fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We abide in Christ and, and Christ abides in us. There's a union that we're a part of, a holy union. And it's our loving God who demonstrated His love for us that while we were lost, dead in our trespasses, lost in our sin and our rebelliousness, wanting to live our lives apart from God, that He sent His Son Christ into the world to die for us. An unconditional love, not predicated on if or because, right? Solely based on God's grace directed towards us. What a good and wonderful God. For God so loved, right? The world. Not the evil system dominated by Satan, but the world that He created, in which you and I, as human beings, are image bearers. When He created us, He said, and that's very good. Very good. He so loved us. His creation. That He was going to give the life of His Son, Jesus Christ. That whoever would believe in Him would have forgiveness of sin and would not have to pay the penalty for sin, but instead would have new life and eternal life. That's whose we are. We don't belong to ourselves. Scripture says that we have been purchased with a price. And what is that price? That price is the blood of of Jesus, that we were literally redeemed. You remember last week I told you that word redeemed is a, is a word that in the day, biblical days, was associated with slave trade. 
And if I wanted to purchase a slave, I would literally redeem them. I would pay the price, what their value was. Okay? And then I would take ownership of. And so if you see that imagery, if you understand that language, God redeems us. We were slaves to sin. Dead. Lost. Destined to spend eternity separated from God. But he loved us so much, he paid the price. And what was the price? How valuable were we? Are we? So valuable that he would pay with the blood of his son to redeem us. See? So that we're no longer slaves to right or to slaves to sin, but we become what? Heirs. We become slaves to God in a sense that we're owned by him, we live for him. But in that isn't slavery, it isn't bondage, it's great freedom. He sets us free. It's wonderful. He redeems us. Okay? I mean, that's that's the gospel. That's why we come and sing songs and celebrate and encourage one another in our faith. But that is whose you are. You belong to Him. He purchased you with a price. And then what is your purpose in life? Right? He created good works. He created a purpose for you. He had you in mind, your life what you meant to him and to his work of the kingdom before the creation, the foundations of the earth. He had you in mind. He created good works beforehand that we would walk in them. Who you are, whose you are, what is your purpose in life? Those are all important things because those are where the idol lies come from. That's where Satan, the roaring lion, the hungry lion, just gnaws and gnaws and gnaws and gnaws away at you because he knows if he can cause you to doubt who you are, whose you are, or your purpose in life, then he's got you. Then he's got you. And we looked last week at Jesus in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, when he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil, what did the devil attack? The devil attacked his identity, who he was, who he is, who God is, and who's God, what, what his purpose on earth was for. Those are all embedded in the temptations that, that Satan came and tempted Jesus, Jesus with. We talked about that. So we looked at idol Idol, uh, idol love or idol affections. We looked at idol eyes last week. This week, we want to look at idol attitudes. Because what happens is, in this tension that we live in, where the world and the influences in the world, the evil influences of the world, that Satan takes good things and perverts them and distorts them and tries to use them to draw us away from God rather than to God. Those affections, that tension, that 
that wrestling, we all know that. You know? Who are we going to be loyal to? Who's going to sit on the throne of the heart of our life? Well, we start to hear those lies and they gnaw away at us. We begin to doubt who we are, whose we are, and what our purpose is in life. And then pretty soon we develop attitudes. And it's those attitudes, as we're going to see today in the story of the nation of Israel, it's those attitudes that ultimately create or produce idols in the idol factory of our heart. Okay, so we're going to look at some attitudes today. And we're going to see if we're stuck in any of those or any of those are present in our life. Because if they are, we want to identify them, we want to repent from them, and we want to get them out of our life so that we don't create idols in our heart. So, we began with uh, Exodus 32, and we were looking at verses 1 through 10. And of course, you're familiar with that story. That is the story of uh, Israel and the golden calf. Now, we hear that story, I hear that story, and I think about that, and here's a question I ask. Do you ask the same question? I say, what in the world are they thinking? How in the world could their heart change their affections, their beliefs about who they are and who God is and and what their purpose was as God has called them out and identified them as a nation belonging to himself. How could it get so twisted? How could they respond to God that way? I mean, you only have to go back in Exodus and and, and they were slaves in Egypt. And for hundreds of years, they cried out to God. And God heard the cries of his people. And he raised up a man, Moses, who would be a deliverer whom he would use to to bring his children out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt and, and to guide them towards the promised land, right? In the fulfillment of all that he had promised back in Abraham, right? Isaac, Jacob, all the patriarchs. And so you might recall that Moses goes and he asks Pharaoh that they be released and Pharaoh resists and so there are plagues. Remember all the plagues? And and those plagues are, are really designed to demonstrate the power and the authority of the one true God against the gods, the false gods, the counterfeit gods of the Egyptians. But rather than relenting what happens to Pharaoh, his heart becomes hard. You know, that's true in our lives too. That if we're not careful, you know, God wants to demonstrate to us his presence, his love, his purpose for us. And and over and over and over again, through his word, uh, through circumstances, in a variety of ways, he's saying, hey, I'm here. 
I am your sovereign. I love you. And yet the more we hear that, sometimes the more our heart becomes dead to it. The more it becomes hardened. The more we resist it. And eventually someone's heart becomes seared. It just becomes seared to it. So that's what happens to Pharaoh. And then finally, you might recall um, the Passover. Um, you know, the, the angel of death, the, the lamb's blood over the doorways, and it preserved the people of Israel, the nation, their children. And then Pharaoh relents, and there's the exodus. And as they leave, the Lord gives them and says, you can take some of these treasures, some gold and silver and things with you. There's going to be a purpose for that. And as they get out into the wilderness, as they're leaving Egypt, the Lord is leading them by a cloud by day and a pillar of light, fire by night, guide the way. But then Pharaoh comes with all of his armies and their backs are to the Red Sea, and what happens? God parts the sea. He does the impossible. You know, He still does the impossible in our lives. Do you know that? When our backs are up against it. So He does that. And they cross over, and as Pharaoh's army is in chase, what happens? The sea swallows them up. It's an amazing story. Look at all the things that God has done. I mean, can you imagine? Where would be your heart? Where would be your attitude? Where would be your love, your trust, and your obedience? It would be centered upon God who did all that, right? In fact, as you look in in Exodus 15, you have the song of Moses and Miriam, and it begins, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They're all singing. I'll sing to the Lord for He's highly exalted. Both horse and driver He's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength, my defense. He is He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise Him. My Father's God, I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. And so on and so forth, right? I mean, they are just exalting the name of the Lord. Look at all the things God has done in His life. Jesus. There you go. Look at all the things that the Lord has done in their, in their lives, right? Look what he's done. And then he leads them towards Mount Sinai where he's going to make a covenant with them. And along the way, he provides them the manna. He provides them the quail. He takes bitter water and turns it into sweet water. He provides for everything they need to get them to where He wants them to be. And that's His promise for us still today. And He finally now gets them to this place. They're at the foot of Sinai. And now He's going to reveal Himself to them in a great cloud of fire that envelops the mountain. And the voice of God, the mountain shakes and rumbles. 
And they're terrified and they're fearful and, and they say, Moses, Moses, you, you speak to him. We can't speak to him. We don't want to hear his voice. We're so afraid that we might die. They had such reverence and awe for God. And there they are at the foot of the mountain. And we look at Exodus 19. You put that up now. There on the screen, Exodus 19. There it is, four through six, thank you. And the Lord says to Moses, tell your people this. Or tell my children this, right? Tell them this. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You've seen that. What's that testifying to? Whose they are. That's their God. This is what He's done for them. This is how He's demonstrated His faithfulness and His love. Now, and this is the covenant He's going to make with them. If you obey Me fully and keep My covenant, then out of all the nations... Now, check this out. He's going to talk about their identity. Out of all the nations... You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he says to Moses, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And those three things, being a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation... Those titles represent his divine blessing and provide an identity to the people. He says, if you're obedient and and if you keep the covenant that you make with me, you're my treasured possession, God's valuable property and distinct treasure. You're a kingdom of priests. The whole nation is to act as mediators of God's grace to the nations of the earth. And from them will come who? The great high priest. Jesus. You are a holy nation, a holy nation, separate and distinct nation, because your God is holy, separate and distinct, as were his purposes and plans for you. Speaks of identity, doesn't it? Speaks of promise. So, Exodus 19.8, Moses goes back to the people and he tells them this and what's their response? The people all together, we will do everything the Lord said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Then you have the, the, the giving of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. Right? He speaks the commandments. And afterwards, he instructs Moses to tell the people this. Exodus 20.23 Do not make any gods to be alongside of me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. Right? Then we fast forward to Exodus 24, 13, 15, and 18. God is going to call 
Moses up to the mountain. And it says that Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. Then Moses entered the cloud and he went up on the mountain and he stayed there for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And that leads us then from 24, all of a sudden we pick up kind of the action with the people at the foot of the mountain in verse, or chapter 32, okay? And that's, that's where we are today. And it says in 32.1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around the mountain and said, come, make us gods. They, they gathered around, excuse me, Aaron. And they said, come, make us gods who will go before us as this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. All right? So here you have this contrast. You have Moses on the mountaintop and you have the people on the floor of the desert. Okay? Moses in communion with God, receiving instructions from God. And the people on the floor of the desert rebelling against God. And you see this contrast going on here. But, but as we read this, they, they, they get tired and, and they're impatient. Moses is up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And there they are gathered at the foot of the mountain. And as we continue to read on, it says that they, they gather around Aaron whom Moses had left in charge to settle disputes and arguments among the people. And they come to him and say, we want you to create gods for us that will go before us. Okay? And in reality, what we're going to see is those are gods who were left behind them. And yet now they want to put them in front of themselves. And as we read through this, it continues. It says, Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings and that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So the people took all of their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioned it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And you know all the jewels and the gold and the earrings? That's part of like the, what God had allowed the people to take because God had intended those to be built, to use to build a tabernacle, a place of worship for God himself. And now the, what are they doing? They're going to use it to create a false god. And, and how often do we take the resources and the things that God has given us? And if we're not careful, rather than using them for God's purposes, what do we do with them? We use them for other objects of worship in our life. You know, we're really no different in a lot of ways from what we're reading here. But as we read through this, there are four idle attitudes I just want to point out to you here. The first we just read about, it's impatience. 
The attitude is, I'm tired of waiting. How many of you get impatient with God? How many of you have ever been to a place where, God, I'm just tired of waiting? Right? You brought me this far. You did all these things, I know, but I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. It's impatience. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Hmm. I love this quote. It's anonymous, but I love it. There's usually something happening while nothing is happening. Do you know that? God uses waiting to change us. If we allow Him to. And then, do you remember at the foot of the mountain when God is identifying Himself? Hey, I'm the one that brought you out uh, like, like, like an eagle protecting its chick. You get that imagery? Look at Isaiah 40, 31. Those who trust, those who wait on the Lord will find, their, will find new strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. Right? God has a purpose for us in waiting. Then the second attitude is that of ingratitude. An attitude of ingratitude. Okay? What have you done for me lately, God? What have you done for me lately? Oh, I know you did all this back here. But what have you done for me today? And sometimes we can have that attitude towards God, can't we? That manifests in our heart. I mean, that had been brewing. Look back at Exodus 16. Two and three. After this is right after the Exodus. This is right after chapter fifteen, where they were praising God and extolling His name and and saying, "We worship You forever, God." The very next chapter, what do we see? In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the Israelites said to them. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around the pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What have you done for me lately, Moses? What have you done for me lately, God? Oh, how quickly we forget. Romans 1, 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. They didn't give thanks to Him. Right? What happens when we fail to give thanks? Attitude of ingratitude. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. The idol factory at work in their hearts. Idle attitudes, impatience, ingratitude. And when you become impatient and there's 
a lack of gratitude, then there's an incipient attitude of rebellion that begins to take root. I'm going to do things my way. Yeah, I know what God has said. I know what God has promised. But what have you done for, what have you done for me lately? And oftentimes that, that attitude of rebellion, if you look underneath it, there's a real fear. It's fear-based. Behind rebellion, there's often fear. And with the people of Israel, you, you see a fear, um, or with Aaron in particular, it, you see this fear of what other people are going to think. What if I don't do what they want? What will they think? What will others do or think? Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Psalm 118.6 The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mortals do to me? Aaron, what led to his rebellion was his fear of the people. He knew what God had said. He knew what Moses had instructed him to do. But the pressure of the crowd swayed him. The fear of the people. He wanted to please them ultimately rather than God. And that leads to rebellion against God. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship of offerings. After they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. You know what that word means in the, in, in the original language? Just an explosion, a festival of immorality, of sexual perversion, of orgies, of, of drunkenness. And it's not surprising because what, what false god did Aaron create, the golden calf? Do you know who the golden calf was? That's the god they left back in Egypt. That's one of the Canaanite gods. And it was a god of virility. Do you remember when they said to Aaron, create for us a God that will go ahead of us? Well, they went back to a God that they left behind in the culture that God delivered them from. And now they're wanting to take those false gods and put it in front of them and have those gods lead them. The gods of the culture they left. And how often do we do that? God calls us out of darkness into light. He calls us out of bondage into freedom. And the idol factory of our heart gets going. We get it, we get impatient, we get ingratitude. We become fearful of not going with the crowd and not being like everybody else. Not, 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 you know, we just cave to the culture. And we allow the gods of the culture to lead us. The gods that we were supposedly left behind when we were called to a better way of life in Christ. We're not much different than the Israelites, are we? Well, 
the last thing. You have the impatience, you have the ingratitude, you have the rebellious nature, attitude, expression that really comes from that underlying fear. It really kind of culminates in just a discontent with what God is doing and what God has given us in our life. And we begin to try to fill our lives and our hearts with things that will satisfy us other than God. And you know what? We look God in the eye and we say, God, I know all the things you've done. I know all the things you've promised. I know the higher calling I have. You called me to live a life worthy of my calling in Christ Jesus. But God, I just want to be happy. Don't you want me to be happy? Colossians 3, 5 through 7. Paul is talking to the Colossians. And he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Right? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, look what he says. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. Don't turn back to the idols of your previous life. Don't take the idols you left behind and put them in front of you and follow them now. That's exactly what Israel did. How can we do that? Look at these people. What's wrong with them? Don't they see it? And then we have to ask ourselves the question. Let's look in the mirror. What's wrong with us? Don't we see it? Because we're susceptible to the same idol lies that we see here in the story. And as you read, as you read on it in the passage that we read earlier, God calls Moses' attention to it. He says, I know these people, they're stiff-necked, and he's angry. And he says, Hey, you know what? Just go back, just give me some space. I'm just gonna just I'm just gonna do away with them. I'm done with them. Because he was so hurt by the actions of the people that he loved so much. But God in his love, a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances, he goes back and and he renews the covenant with them. But there are consequences for those who rebelled. Okay? They're not going to enter the promised land. I want to close with a story. When I was in high school, my hard-working single mother used to come home and frequently she would say, let's go out to dinner. This is the mom who loved me. I was her treasured possession. In her heart and her mind, she had such wonderful plans for me. She saw my future and she did everything she could do. To help guide me into that. Okay? That was my mom. But, you know, sometimes teenagers, I know this is hard to believe, you can be ungrateful. I was ungrateful. 
No way. And one evening, my mom and I went out to dinner, and I did what I had always done. When our meals came, you know, in the back in the old days, they'd give you garnish with parsley and carrot and like decorate your plate, right? So I used to take it, I used to put it on my mom's plate. Well, on this occasion, I did that. My mom took it and put it back on my plate. I was surprised after all these years, right? As she used to say, I created a monster and now I must live with him. Okay? And I put it back on her plate. She put it back on my plate. I put it back on her plate. It's like a tennis match, back and forth, back and forth across the plates. And finally she looked at me and she said, Todd, don't put your garnish on my plate. I'm tired of it. And I did what any 16-year-old boy would do when his mom was very clear. I was disobedient. And I put the garnish back on her plate. And what she did next just surprised me. I'll never forget it. And you won't either after I tell you. She took her knife. She scraped all her food off her plate onto the bare table. She took the plate and sat it next to my plate and said, There, if you want to put your garnish on my plate, go ahead. Just let me eat my dinner in peace. I was like, I I pushed her to the breaking point. I never placed my garnish there again. Okay? Amen. Amen. But here's the point. We push, we push, we push. God says, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Really, come on. No, don't do that. Come on, here's the boundary. Don't cross that boundary. And he says, enough. And today, the Lord wants to say to you and me, enough of the idle lies. Enough of the idle attitudes. I don't want anything to do with them, and you shouldn't either. Stop it. I'm tired of it. How could the children of Israel do that to God? It's easy. It's the same way we do it. It's the same thing I did to my mom. The one who I was her treasured possession. The one that she, she did everything for me. She had a future that she wanted to just to help me live into. And yet in the midst of all that, I was ungrateful, impatient, and rebellious. Let's not be like that. Let's not be like 16-year-old Todd in our relationship to God. Let's not have competing affections. Let's not have or believe the idle lies. Let's not okay, develop those idle attitudes that, that just really cause us to produce those God counterfeits in our life. Enough. Today, Enough. As Joshua would say years later, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So worship team comes forward.
if there is impatience with God, ingratitude, if there's a rebellious spirit that's developing, that's underlined by fear of wanting to go with the crowd and be like everybody else, you're afraid of what they would say because you take a stand for God, or ultimately if you're discontent with God. And you're tempted to, or you're already going back to the old gods that he called you to leave behind, and you are now putting them in front of you to lead your life. Today's the day you can say, God, I want a clean start. And you'll say, okay. Okay, let's do that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples of peoples who have gone before us. And Lord, if we're honest, we're just like them in so many ways. God, forgive us to where we have pushed you and pushed you and pushed you and tried your patience, and yet your patience and love is everlasting. You are a great and mighty God. Father, today, help us to let go of idle attitudes that are creeping into our hearts and lives. Lord, help us to walk in the truth of your word. Lord, help us to remove things in our lives that compete for our affection. We want to love you, Lord, and we want to place you first on the throne of our lives. God, today we we clean the plate. And we say we want to follow you. We want to leave the past, the counterfeit gods behind. And we want to fully embrace the future you have for us. Father, we can't do it on our own. But only with your strength, with the power of your spirit. Search our hearts, O God. Create in us a clean heart and renew steadfast spirit within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.